there's, there's a great deal there, and because of the way that they're written, um, there's a great deal to glean from them. And that's why you'll hear people, sometimes when they teach, they'll talk about like the sentences or phrases being pregnant with meaning. The idea there is just kind of, it gives birth to so many different types of truths. Uh, sometimes we talk about unpacking a passage. It's not necessarily because there's things that are hidden. It's just that there's so much that's there. Uh, that when you begin to unpack it, you begin to realize how much is really packed into these things. Um, and it's just another one of those really great things about the Word of God. So beginning in verse 9 of Colossians 1, it reads this way. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with you, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints uh, in, in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Even though I put this in 24 font, it's, it's still blurry. I should have put, used the 28. Anyway, so uh, what we have here is, there's several, of the letters of Paul, uh, there's four or five passages uh, where we have basically the prayers of Paul, the kinds of things that Paul is praying for when it comes to those that he's seeking to influence and to teach, at times try to correct. Uh, and there's a great deal that's really packed into uh, his prayers for these individuals. And one of the great things about that, as we kind of begin to work our way through these prayers, is it really will teach us a great deal about how we can pray both for ourselves and for others. Um, as we pray as Christians, it's very easy for us to get um, kind of stuck to where we, we have a prayer list, like you know, we have one that we generate here at the church. And sometimes what happens is, is, is we, we pray for those who have physical ailments, and that's usually there's a great deal of that that's on there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we sometimes begin to get into a habit where that's almost all we do, is we pray about those types of things. And when it comes to praying for each other spiritually, either we're not quite sure how to do that, not quite sure what to even pray for, uh, or how that should go. And I do believe that a majority of our prayer should be about those kinds of things, whether we're praying for our children, for our parents, um, for friends, people in the church, the missionaries that we um, support. Um, the, because there's, the Bible does speak about there being spiritual warfare. It's a very real thing. Uh, a lot of approaches that people have to spiritual warfare are really quite silly and dumb. Um, it, it's not necessarily wrong to go and to march around a building and pray. I just, that's just not a biblical thing. Um, that's, and screaming and yelling when you pray, that's not engaging in spiritual warfare. Um, and it's not the idea that you get from certain novels that there's demons on top of the church roof hiding behind the steeple uh, waiting to pounce on people when they come out of church. That's not happening either. Um, but there's a very real spiritual warfare that takes place that we need to recognize is happening. So an exa simple examples would be this. So let's say you have your average dad, he's working 40, 50, maybe 60 hours a week, 
He comes home, he's tired. His kids, uh, they want dad to play with them. Uh, and maybe he's also thinking about the fact that he needs to, to pray with his children and he needs to talk to them about the Bible uh, and he feels tired. That's spiritual warfare. That's what that is. Right? The devil wants that to be easy for him just to kind of, let's just turn the TV on and let's just all watch a program together. Not that it's wrong to do that, all right? but for many, that becomes the norm. That becomes what they do all the time. Um, having to put forth the energy uh, in the relationship with his wife or with his kids, uh, there's a spiritual battle that's there. Um, then maybe for uh, the wife, whether she may work as well outside the home or if she doesn't, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on where the various passions and weaknesses that we have, you know, the, the Satan's going to try to use those against us to do anything he can to diminish uh, our walk with the Lord, to hamper our walk with the Lord, uh, to cause us to become spiritually weaker. Remember that for you and I to become spiritually weaker is not, does, not, does not only manifest itself in the sense that we may give in to temptation, though that is definitely part of it, we may, that, that may take place where because we're physically tired or maybe emotionally tired uh, or spiritually tired or all the above, we are maybe more susceptible to giving in the temptation, whether it's just losing our temper with somebody or whatever the case may happen to be. But along with that, um, it's not only those things. Um, the ease we have where we begin to ignore the scripture on a, maybe on a regular basis because we just don't have time uh, for that or we don't think we have time. Um, and you, just, you can begin to build a list of, of maybe almost normal everyday things that take place. And then, and then, again, remember that being weaker in the faith is not only that you're more susceptible to giving in the temptation, that also means you may be less ready to give clear biblical wisdom in a situation where advice is needed. Whether, again, you're talking to your kids or you're talking to a friend or whoever, because that requires energy, requires thought, you know, we just want to do the easy thing. Just not to say something to get them to leave us alone or whatever the case may happen to be. So getting weaker then as believers is not just revealed in, in uh, maybe sinning more often. Uh, it can be in other areas as well. So then this, uh, these prayers that Paul is praying and what, he's, what he says he's praying for for them really give us insight into how we can pray uh, for each other. And so... When, when you see names of individuals, like on our prayer sheet, some, it's not uncommon for there to be names and there's nothing else listed. And, you, don't, and you're not, you may not even remember why that name was there. But you know this, you know they're believers. And if you're familiar with the prayers of Paul, you know exactly how to pray for them, and it's beneficial. And so hopefully you'll have a better idea of that as we begin to work through um, uh, this prayer of Paul uh, that he has here in the beginning of Colossians. So the first thing that I wanted to say is that when it comes to the Colossians, Paul was actually very encouraged by what he saw in their life. But his encouragement led him to pray to God so that God would enrich them further. Right? That was the idea. So, so he was thankful to work for where they were, but it was almost like, but more is necessary. More can be done. More can take place. Uh, and really in the same way that someone who is uh, a coach or a teacher on any level, you know, the idea is even if you have a good student, you, what, we, what you normally first begin to recognize is how much more they're capable of. 
You may make it straight A's in your class, and that's great, but you're already thinking they can go so much further with this because of their gifting or their ability or whatever it happens to be. Um, and so that's kind of the idea behind what Paul is doing. So when Paul begins with his prayer for the Colossians, uh, he is touching all of their basic needs as believers. Um, there are some books that are written about this that, that they will claim that this is one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Um, you always have to be careful whenever you say anything in the Bible is the greatest of anything. <laughs> because somebody would say, well, what about such and such? Well, yeah, that too, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. So anyway, uh, so I'm not saying it's the greatest. It's one of the greatest. And I guess by the time we get done listing all the great prayers of the Bible, all the prayers of the Bible will be listed. But anyway, um, but he definitely begins with intercession for them. Uh, so he is praying for them. He's praying for them, praying for them on their behalf. Uh, he is thanking God for what God has already done for them. Um, one, uh, one commentator that I was reading said he thought it was ironic that oftentimes Christian ask, that Christians often ask God to do for them what he's already done. Um, and you know, we do have to be careful with that. Uh, so one of the examples he uses is we ask God to forgive us of our sins when, we, when he has already forgiven us in Christ. And there's truth in that, but there's also the idea that we confess our sins because of the relational aspect. Uh, but we do need to remember that as believers, that we're never asking God to forgive us because we have unforgiven sin. You have no unforgiven sin in your life. You do know that, right? When you became a believer, every single sin you would ever commit was forgiven at that moment. Christ has already paid the price for every single sin you are going to commit for the rest of your life. So in that, it's forgiven. Gone. So now, when we ask for forgiveness, when we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, it is in the sense of this relationship that we have with God. And so the, 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 the way I like to illustrate that, because I think it really helps us to grasp that, would be if your child disobeys you, and let's say you scold them for what they've done, and they come and they ask you to forgive them, almost always, and maybe always, there's something your child would never say to you. They'll never say, Dad, I know that I hit my sister, and I lied about it, and I was wrong, and I want to be your son again. Will you forgive me? You would be flipped out if they said that, because him being your son was never in question. In fact, the reason why you are scolding him is because he is your son. And you want, you expect more out of him. You want to teach him. You want to instruct him. So his sonship was never in question. Him asking you to, him asking you to forgive him is because the relationship between you two has, there's tension there. But it's not that it's ended. There's just tension there. There's, maybe there's a wall there because of his disobedience. So when it comes to us and God, we never ask God to forgive us so we can be forgiven in the sense of when an individual becomes a believer in Christ. Uh, we are asking him to forgive us because we are his children and we, we, it's important for us to recognize the wrong that was done and for us to move forward in life. Yes? So we're acknowledging that we've done wrong, mm -hmm. which is really for our benefit. It's always for our benefit, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Confession really also, when you think, when you study the word confession, oftentimes in the scriptures when it's used, it is to speak with a very deep sense of conviction. So it's never just the idea of just admitting something or just saying something. You know, there's a sense of conviction that, you know, this is wrong. 
Now, it's true, because we, we, this happens on a human level as well, that there are times that an, an individual may confess to you they've done wrong, and they do so because they've been caught. So, of course, they're going to confess. And that, and that happens. And our kids, when we correct them, especially early in their life, that's what, that's what goes on. What we want to see happen is eventually what we want them to, for us to see in their life is that they become convinced that it is wrong. Not because they got caught. It's wrong. They recognize maybe what their sin has done. You know, they've hurt someone. They've, you know, all these different things that kind of come along with that. And so that's the idea really for us. As we grow as Christians, you know, we begin to become more convicted in, for lack of a better way to put it, in reality that what I've, what I've done is against God. I'm, it's displeasing to God. And so now what begins to accompany my confession is going to be some sorrow, you know, now, for what I've done. What about when you, you've asked forgiveness and of course we're forgiven, you can't even explain it. What do you mean? Like you keep but doing it, or it just keeps no, popping no, up? No, you just keep feeling. No, you never do it again. I mean, that part of your life is mm-hmm. over, but it keeps popping up and, and kind of feel guilty. Uh, normally, well, you can, there's a couple things you can do with that. Number one, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, is there something else I'm supposed to do? In the sense of, okay, let's say that I have an argument with John. Okay, that'd probably be really rare. But if we ever had an argument, let's say we had an argument, and let's say I get really upset. Okay, and so I'm not, I'm not too nice to him. So then later I feel convicted of that and I ask God to forgive me. And then I go on about my business. And I, and, well, hold on. So I, continue, I begin to feel guilty about that. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I, I ask God to forgive me. Well, then someone comes along and says, well, Bob, did you ask John to forgive you? Well, no. Well, didn't you sin against? So in other words, there was one more step I need to take to make things right. All right, so I need so sometimes that's what has to happen. There's someone else involved that I needed to, to talk to or what have you. Now that may not always be the case, but we do need to make sure we ask that. There are times when either A, you've done that, there is nothing else you can do, then that just comes down to you believing that God's actually forgiving you. Because we sometimes feel either we have to do more or we feel like something bad didn't happen to me. We have all these different things based on our past that can clutter our mind. But in the end, what it really boils down to is we need to accept the fact that God has forgiven us. And a lot of women who have had abortions have that problem. The one, if, they, if they become a believer, uh, if they've had an abortion in the past, they have a real hard time with that. When they, because uh, as they uh, often, not always, but often, if they become uh, afflicted later, like they... Like they, they've been a believer for several years and then for whatever reason, because our hearts continue to change as believers, all of a sudden they feel a real sense of immense heaviness because of what, they, because of what they've done. And it's almost as if they think, and some have actually said this, but it's almost as if they think that, yes, God saved me, but he didn't know about that. No, so, right, so we have to remind them that, well, actually God did know because God knows everything. Uh, but they, but they, because they recognize the hideousness of what they've done, weighs on them so heavy, they feel that something really bad must happen to them uh, because they must be punished for what they've done. And they don't, you know, you don't really, you have to think through again, well, but Christ was actually punished for my sin. And 
and they may have and they may have gone through a tremendous number of different kinds of consequences anyway, but for whatever reason they don't feel it's enough, and so they they can they can sometimes struggle with that for a while, and if, you need to be reminded that again Christ knew all those things. He really has forgiven you. He's been punished. Um, there are uh, um, and it, it's it's really just continuing to come to Christ and find the freedom that comes from being forgiven. Um, and that can be hard sometimes. Um, if, if the, when I say if, cause, because we live in a weird society now and there's so much pop psychology that's messing everybody up. Uh, but when an individual becomes truly convicted and there's a real heaviness that's very difficult to shake, which again, I think can be a very good thing in the sense that it's revealing that your heart is continuing to change. God is working on your heart and he is making you, making your heart in a sense softer towards the things of God, which means that sin is more offensive, um, you know, those types of things. So that's, that's a great signal to us um, that that's happening. So there, that is a positive thing. We're not just making that up, that's real. But then it's also recognizing that our only hope still is only Christ. And we just have to be reminded of a truth that we, that we know, but now because it's in a sense so personally deep because of whatever we're facing, uh, it's almost like, it's like a new level of, of applying that uh, and grasping that and reminding yourself that, again, Christ definitely knew that when he saved you. And, uh, and so like, I've, even, I've talked to a few women that have been in that situation and one says, well, I, all I know is, you know, as, I, as they were thinking about their abortion, she says, I just know that uh, there's just no way I deserve salvation. And I said, you don't deserve salvation whether you have an abortion or not. You know, that's what we have to grasp, that's what we have to understand. Because sometimes we actually kind of think, we don't actually think it out in, in a full sentence, but it's almost as if we're somehow thinking that because there's certain horrible things I've not done, I we, I almost deserve salvation. But if I had done that, then there's just no way. And it's recognizing that, no, we're all in the same boat. Um, one of the first ladies that I led to the Lord uh, when I was in jail ministry had six abortions in her past. She was, you know, she was so drugs on a small level. She wasn't like a drug dealer. Like, you know, she didn't run a cartel. But she did make money selling drugs. And she just lived this wild, independent life. And she had had six abortions. And um, so when she became a believer, it was about a few weeks after she became a believer, she was hit really hard with that because um, she had never, she never really thought about it. Um, and, she, and she was reading through the scriptures. I forget what pastor she was in, but it hit her that she had, you know, basically participated in murdering these six children. And it just, you know, because she always thought that she was not that bad. Like a lot of people are that way, I, you know. I've, you know, I've never done that. You know, I've never robbed anyone. I've never murdered anyone. I've never, you know, I've never sold drugs to children. You know, all those types of things that people kind of go through in their mind, and so they think that, in a sense, relatively speaking, morally, they're they're pretty much okay. They're like most people. Uh, and then she just came to grips with the fact that she, first of all, whatever she was thinking, that bubble was exploded, and uh, she. Uh, went through a, a very difficult time, which I thought was great though. I mean, we talked about that. We talked about it every day for uh, several weeks. 
um, and just kept going through the truths of the scripture and what who God is and who Jesus is and what God knew um, and what forgiveness really was and what happened when Christ died and you know just ask the questions when Jesus died for you did he die for all of your sin or did he die for just most of them and you know the person knows the answers but they need to sometimes say them um, but there's, so there's no way to get around that um, and there's no way to get around there's no other answer it is that and it really will free that individual once they come to terms with that. So that's what you do. If you sin against somebody and they're, they're dead, they're gone, you can't make it up to them. You can't make it up to them, but God can still forgive, and God does forgive. And that sin was, was God, Christ was punished for that. Um, there's, there's probably, for all of us, many things that we've done, and we've harmed others, and we've never... We, we're humans. We, we may have even forgotten we've done so many things. A lot of times for me, it's, it's stuff that I don't mean to steal the Bible study or anything, but it's stuff that happened before I was saved. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think that sometimes if the Lord brings those things back to your mind and there's things you can do about it, great. If not, I uh, wouldn't worry about it. Maybe you need to pray about it. Sure. Absolutely. I know a guy who's, who, who, had the, who dealt with, he was a very... Uh, um, he was a little OCD about some stuff in his past, and he just could he just could let certain things go. So I had to make a list, and so on his list was 24, 25 things that he remembered specifically he had done. And I said, okay, so how would you make amends for these? And so he, they were like in one case he had to go to a, to a school and give them money because he used to rip off the machine all the time, uh, and there was you know people he had done th some things too, and he was able to make contact with most of them. A lot of them thought he was really weird because, you know, they didn't remember these things. Uh, but we kind of worked on his response to their response and the idea that, well, since I've become a Christian, I'm deeply bothered by the things I've done in the past. And I know I can't make up for that, but I, I, I can apologize or I can ask you to forgive me. You know, and, and so it, it did have a fairly deep effect on a couple of people, which was great. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you had your hand up, Sandra? Yeah, um, I was just going to say, you know, <clears throat> I did that last too. But lately, I just, um, you know, I've been dwelling on my past and mm -hmm. what I've done to my family. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, it didn't matter what I've done to other people, you know, just my family. But then, you know, I'm saying, you know, I'm saying really what I'm, what I'm trying to say is um, I'm learning to let it go because I gave it all to God. So, I think he has done such my heart. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I don't cry when I look at I mean, mm -hmm. they don't want to talk to me. I don't, sure. I don't do none of that. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to intervene with people that get in trouble and stuff like that. You know, I just mm -hmm. don't. Yeah. I, 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 I guess, um, like my mama used to tell me, you're going to die old maid, you know, so you're going to be like yourself. <laughs> well, the Lord can definitely bring about a healing uh, yeah. well, on I mean, things I that we've done. Lot, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, you got it. grief. Well, I wish you hadn't said that because now I'm going to have to say something. <laughs> All right. So here, so here we go. There's no such thing as forgiving yourself, it just doesn't exist. Okay? Because. You've never offended yourself. Our sin always offends God and others, not us. And 
So it's normally, it's learning to, it, it, normally for the believer, it's learning to accept God's forgiveness. That's really what it's about. Um, it's, I don't know where that phrase came from. It's, I'm sure it's some weird mix of psychology and Christianity of this idea of forgiving yourself. Um, and maybe people began to use that as a way of saying to let things go or what have you. Uh, but I just, that's just, to me, that's just, it's not even helpful um, with individuals. It's, it's if, if I've offended John, I need to go to John. And you know what I mean? And I always need to go to God. And I need to accept the forgiveness. And, and part of the problem sometimes with accepting forgiveness is many of us, and maybe all of us, but many of us, at least from time to time, we have a, an image of ourself. It's kind of in a little bubble, right? So if, you ha- so if we're forced to accept God's forgiveness, that means we are fully responsible for whatever we did and we got no one else to blame. And that destroys that image, that bubble. It's gone. And so because of our pride, I'm not going to do that. And so then we turn it inside to where it's why I need to forgive myself. And people think that's so... It's sickening to me, the way some people do it. Uh, but I, don't, I, I just, that, to me, that's just really, it's almost, it's, well, it's, it's almost anti-Christian. But it's the guilt. Yes. So, yeah, so what I tell people, I say, well, you need to embrace the guilt because you did wrong. Mm-hmm. And now how do we deal with it in the real world? Well, to, yeah, a lot of th- it can turn into a lot of things, yeah. So, now, obviously you deal with that much differently with a believer than a non-believer. Uh, with a non-believer, you know, I say, well, no matter what you do, the guilt won't go away uh, because the person you offended is God, and that's who you have to yeah, deal with. Well, I always run because of the reality of the earth. You know? Well, that, that always goes along with it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's, but now I do think this, that when people, when people say I have, to, I have to forgive myself, I do think it's a wonderful way to launch into sharing Christ with them. I would, because I would, I mean, I would tell, I guess it's based on how well you know them and how you would say it, because you don't want them to slap you. Um, but you might, you might want to tell them, say, you know, I've heard that phrase a lot, and I don't think people would think about what that means. And then I would just tell them. So if you forgive yourself, so what? You've not offended yourself. You offended others, well, depending on whatever it is they're talking about. Yeah, they always say, look yeah. in the mirror, forgive yourself. Well, yeah. well. I mean, I looked in the mirror plenty of mirrors, and I ain't gave them. That's how I didn't give them. <laughs> So verse, uh, verse 9 again. So Paul says, and so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So when he says that he has not ceased to pray for them, it does not mean that Paul prayed for them perpetually. It does mean he prayed for them on a regular basis. Okay, that, that's what that's getting at. Okay, it doesn't mean that every single day, five times a day, he was praying for them, or seven times, it doesn't mean that. Um, but it does mean that it was a regular part of his prayer life. Because as you pray, sometimes, you know, the list can get kind of long. And if you're going to pray for everything every day, well, you're there for hours. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but sometimes we do still have to go mow the yard uh, or whatever it is. So the idea is that we do want to pray for certain things regularly. And there are some things that are more regular than others. You know, like, so for example, it would be common for us to pray for our children much more regularly than we would for other people. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Um, uh, I would say this, just as a side note, if someone asks you to pray for something, don't say yes, you will, unless you will. 
So if you have to, write it, write it down. I take out, I'll take my phone out and send myself an email. Because <laughs> I will forget. I don't want to forget um, to pray. And um, <clears throat> so that's, so, but there is this idea where here, there's this group that Paul is concerned about. And he does, and of course, there are many people that Paul, Paul prayed for. And so he did pray for them on a, on a regular basis. So this petition then also, he goes and he says this. He begins to tell us what he's asking God to do. So he says, asking, so he's talking to God, he's praying, asking that you, that's these Colossian believers, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word filled, that's used there, uh, means exactly what it sounds like. We fill something up to the top or to the brim. So Paul is praying that they will be satisfied with nothing less than the limit of the knowledge of God's will. So it's not just knowledge of God. This is, this is more specific than that. Even though that's included, it is the knowledge of God's will. What is God's will for your life? Uh, you will learn that as you learn more about God, but this is not limited to just learning about good theology. This is what is God's will for you. How does God want you to live? Uh, you know, we talk about when we, when we become believers, God saves us from sin and he saves us to transform us to be like his son Christ. And so, you know, we, we want that growth to take place uh, in our life. So that means that Paul's prayer for them was for them to obtain entire insight into the will of God. So for their life, for every situation they come across, uh, another way to think about that is we want to make sure that we're thinking about things biblically. Because right? that's how we know God's will. You know, so our approach to marriage, our approach to advice on any particular topic, you know, it should be, we should be running it through the file in our head. You know, what does the Bible say about that? Certain things you would just know because you, maybe you've studied a lot in time. So you don't, like, you don't have to like stop and think for 10 minutes. You already know. But the idea is that we want to give advice that comes from Scripture. Um, so that's important because you don't want to just give what, what we might call Christian advice because sometimes Christian advice may not necessarily be biblical. Right? Just because Christians have said a bunch of things doesn't mean it's right. right? So for example, what you said earlier, you know, that, that idea about forgiving yourself, I've already even heard pastors preach sermons on that. That's just not a, I guess that might be Christian, but it's, it's not biblical. All right? So we want to make sure that we deal with issues in a way that God has prescribed. We want to make sure we deal with categories that God is using in the scripture. That's, that's how we can think about our life in the clearest way possible. Uh, all the other types of categories, whether we're, we're categorizing sin or any kind of mental issues or what happens to be, uh, those things usually can muddy the water and there's less clarity there. Uh, that's why I'm a real big proponent that when it comes to our mental health and our emotional health, is very intimately tied into our spiritual health. You, you can't separate those. If you do that, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go off the deep end, because it doesn't mean that, but it can get you in trouble, right? And it, it can begin to negatively affect you spiritually. Doesn't mean you're going to deny Christ. Doesn't mean any of those things, but it, it begins to put maybe a hindrance between you and the Lord. Yes? Is it biblical? Uh, Satan could do that. Yeah, it, again, it depends on, you know, as we think about it, what, what's going, like, for example, let's say 
what she brought up, you're just feeling guilt. But that definitely could be from the evil one. Because if you become preoccupied with that, you're no good anywhere else. You know what I mean? Because you, cause if that takes root, you can begin to hesitate when it comes to a lot of other things. Well, I can't, I can't help with that because I've, not, I've got this going on. You know, and we begin to become unsure of ourselves, maybe begin to focus too much on ourselves. All kind of stuff can happen. So it definitely can happen, most definitely. Is it wrong to remember that verse? Is that correct? Absolutely. Oh, no, I think that's actually, that's very important. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah, the, the guilt, there's, there's definitely such a thing as false guilt. Yeah, there's definitely false guilt that's out there. Uh, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. Uh, all we, we just know that it exists. And it can be, it can be it's, it's, a, it's a big problem for more for some than others. But yeah, to me, uh, that's, what was that, Romans 8.1, right? That's really important. Uh, there are certain verses, I think, that when it comes to living, uh, real practical living, that's important. That's one of them, most definitely. Because it just states a truth uh, that we need to stand on. Yes, sir? Just because they're forgiven doesn't mean there are not consequences to Oh, yeah. The consequences make mm-hmm. you feel like they're Correct. And that yeah. is not a bad thing because you mm-hmm. Sure. At the same time, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not correct that you have to forgive yourself because it's not going to help the consequences. Correct. Yeah. Most of the time, okay, I'll say it that way. I guess you can say it that way. We say it this way. Often, we do face the consequences of our sin. I do believe it's rare for us to face the full consequences of our sin. God's merciful. There are times we face zero consequences, which is great, but that doesn't happen very often. But facing consequences of our sin does not mean we're not forgiven. Sometimes people will go there thinking, well, I don't know why this is happening to me. I ask God to forgive me. Like, okay, time out. <laughs> You're not quite understanding. Uh, and then, of course, there's also, that complicates all of that, is the idea that we are living in a world cursed by sin. And there will be times that either our suffering may be compounded because of the sins of others, or we just may be suffering because of the sins of others. It's got really nothing to do with any particular sin on our part. We, we need to just deal with living in the sinful world. Yes, sir? Well, honestly, Satan can't read minds or anything like that. But mm-hmm. How does he tempt us? Or how, is that, how does he tempt Well, us? simple. He's been around us for 6,000 years. <clears throat> Men are, mankind is mankind. Mm-hmm. All our impulses, as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Okay. So, he would be if, if there's a person who is the uh, most experienced psychologist on the planet it would be Satan outside of God who created us so he can manipulate us they think this algorithm thing they got with computers is amazing and, and whatever it is but Satan's been doing that forever well, I guess the part I understand is if he's not even though he's not like say can't read minds and stuff like how does he actually tempt you? I mean, if he, Simple. How does he get in your mind, I guess, is what I'm saying. He doesn't. The, uh, what does James say? James says we're tempted because of the lust of our own heart. Okay, I got you. So that's where it comes from. So I to, all he has to do is appeal to that. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, so I think that when we move closer to the 
closer to the cross, we see God's holiness, and when we see God's holiness, we see mm-hmm. our sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And the only way to kind of solve that that problem of our sinfulness is to go to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then it's not actually a bad thing when we feel guilt. Correct. Because that will drive us closer to be more dependent upon God. I agree. And that's what God yeah. wants. What, and that's what we need. Right. What we, what we have to remember is that for some people, see, they don't view guilt that way. They're only viewing it emotionally and how they feel. And they don't like that. And they want it to go away. And which, is, which again, is normal. Um, so that's why we all have to learn how to do that. You know, we learn how to, to continue to come to Christ. And so that is where good theology comes in because... The more solid biblical theology we have, the, the deeper the roots are of our conviction of the truth about God. And so that helps me to, to see that, and that helps me to resist the wrong direction my emotions will lead me, kind of a thing. And those emotions then would begin to change to where I'm no longer preoccupied with the guilt, I become preoccupied with the love of Christ for me. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Okay, so also then, um, when it comes to being filled and the will of God, um, another one of the dictionaries that was trying to explain how the word is used, he said that the word filled also means to be controlled to the tiniest detail. So the idea is, is that it's not just that we want to just generally understand God's will for our life. That's true. But the idea is if, we're, if you are full to the brim, if you're filled with that, then even the most minuscule things, you will know the will of God for whatever that happens to be. Nothing is untouched uh, in, how, in whatever you're dealing with, your approach, people you're talking to, whatever. Everything becomes uh, where you're moving, in that sense, in the spirit of God um, and seeking to honor him with all that you do. So it's pretty cool um, when you think about it that way. And that is what Paul is praying. If you think about it, so... Who does not want to know the will of God for every facet of their life? No believer is going to say, well, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't have to know everything. I mean, no one's going to say that. Uh, and I don't think anybody really feels that way. I think we say, well, yeah, that would be fantastic. How many of us would say, oh, yeah, I know what God's will is for every single day of my life. No, nobody would say, oh, yeah, I've got it down. You know, we say, no, I, I need, I, I, you know, because we can think of times when we were like stumped or we were unsure. Um, or we can think back to where, man, if I was just, I don't know what I was thinking about yesterday. I had this, you know, we'll say things like I had this opportunity. You know, I could have either encouraged this person or I could have talked to this person about the Lord or all these things. And I just, I just wasn't thinking what is going on, you know. And so we want to have that awareness and we want it to be like just right there at, at the you know, tip of your tongue or whatever it happens to be uh, when it comes to that. So we definitely can be praying that for, uh, for each other. So again, we need to know the will of God not only for the major decisions of our lives, uh, but for all of our little decisions as well. Uh, we want the will of God or the knowledge of the will of God to pervade our purpose, our plans, and our thoughts. So a couple of points uh, to make concerning this. We're still in verse 9, and we're looking at, again, where he says, that may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and then he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this prayer here begins by asking that we may be filled with an ever-growing knowledge of the will of God. So that would, that would affect all of us as believers, wherever we are in our walk with the Lord, no matter how long we've been believers. Um, so 
when, we, when we're praying this for ourselves, for others, it's really not, we're not necessarily trying to make God listen to us as it is we're really trying to put ourselves in a position to listen to God. That's what we're asking to do. I want to be able to hear him, to hear what he's saying. I want these thoughts in my head that keep telling me I should do this and this as I think through things. I want that to be submitted to, to the word of God and to what God wants me to do. So that's what I want to find out. Secondly, um, the knowledge of God, because we're, t- we're talking about the will of God, we want the knowledge of God to be translated into our human situation. That's the application of scripture. I want to be able to take the truths of God's word. I want to be able to understand what his will is for my life. What that means is, is I'm translating these things into action that I'm, that I, that I'm to engage in, uh, in the way that I live, whether it affects my attitude uh, towards others. Like maybe let's say you become, let's say you think about your job and let's say that wherever you work, there's mostly non-believers. And maybe you're in a situation where you've caught yourself very easily getting a bad attitude. Not that you're mad at anybody in particular, but maybe you're kind of like them. You're a little cynical. You know how it is, you know, bad, bad feelings towards something brings people together. This guy wrote a book, it was a psychology book I was reading, and the guy said that uh, it's amazing how people can become instantly close together when they meet in a bar. And what he meant by that is, because normally when they meet in a bar and they get together to share a beer, what are they talking about? They're both going to be talking negatively about someone or something. And that negativity, man, we're on the same page. <laughs> right? So, you, for example, let's say, let's say that you just happen to be conservative politically. So you meet somebody, maybe you're not having a beer, but maybe you meet somebody and they're also conservative politically. And you're both complaining about Biden. And let's say that conversation goes on for 30 minutes. Do you feel pretty good about that person? Oh, yeah. He knows where I'm coming from. I know where he's coming from. He sees things the right way. <laughs> right? We're just, <laughs> and if you see him the next day, hey, bud, how you doing? I mean, it's just, it's, that's where it is. Because we're, you know, the negativity just brings us together, uh, whatever it happens to be. So, um, so the idea with that is that we want to make sure that, that, if we're being pulled in that direction, we want to fight against that. Huh? That would be negative and a positive. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. So, so now, I'm not saying as a Christian it's bad to be in that conversation. You just don't want it to be the only thing. All right? That can't be the only thing. You know, if, if the only thing, so like, you know, there's some guys I meet in the gym when I work out. And so there's not a lot of time for long conversations. Um, they're usually pretty short. But eventually... It, it, it's got to get to the point to where when I talk to them, it's more than just either working out or more than just gas is ridiculous or whatever. You know, there's, we got we to gotta keep edging, you know, in certain directions. And it may not be real deep theologically, but I just can't leave it with just, you know, the peripheral. Now, that can be hard. It's very, especially very difficult when the conversations are 30 seconds. All right, but it can happen. Because I'm aware of it. I want to be, you know, be aware of it. I'm, I don't want to just let it go. All right, so, the, so, I want to, so I want to translate them, everything I know about Scripture, and how do, I, how do I incorporate that into everyday conversations to where it's normal and natural and we can lead things in a certain direction. Yes? Well, for his divine reasoning, he put Biden Oh, I know that. And, and, and what, what's come out of it? Well, 
Right. Yeah. And sure. I never expect it, but somehow, for some reason, God put this leader in there mm-hmm. for some reason. That's his reason. Yeah. I know a lot of Christians think they figured out why. To punish America. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> consequences of our sin. Yes, ma'am. Say what now? Well, they can, but 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 growth is greatly enhanced. Persecution is normally the fertilizer. That really helps. Yep. Yeah, it could be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, because you're forced to. You know, it's kind of like when uh, when I first uh, when I when I first took over, a, I, I was managing a pizza hut, and then I left there to manage a Christian bookstore. And um, the first week I was there, on a Friday, I let everybody go home early. And I was, I only, there was two more hours till we closed up. And so I was just kind of closing up early and getting ready so that I could, you know, put everything away and lock up. And this guy comes in, and he was a, a Jehovah Witness. And so we started talking. And so as we talked, I knew everything he was saying was wrong. And I couldn't refute one thing. I mean, it was bad. And so I asked him, I said, I said, man, I'd love to talk to you again. Can you come next week? He goes, absolutely. Ain't nothing like that to motivate you. I read four books in seven days. All right. And I was ready to go. And now I wish I could tell you that after I read those books and we talked, that we talked for an hour and he fell to his knees and became a believer. That's not what happened. All right. But the conversation went much, be- much better. I had a better handle on things, which was good. And the Lord also used that because a, fl- a switch somewhere was flipped. And I kept reading. I mean, I just couldn't get enough. I just realized how stupid I was or ignorant. And there was just no excuse in that, especially because of all the stuff I had been taught through the years. And I just was blank. And so, man, it was so that that very bad situation that was embarrassing was great. Um, and so whenever we're in a situation where we have to prove somebody wrong or we're unable to at the moment or you know, there's a disagreement or whatever it happens to be, that can be very motivating. Uh, and, of course, we get back into the Word, and, and we're, you know, we're more focused. So as you're more focused, you're, re, you're getting more of it, you're retaining more of it, and a bunch of things, a bunch of, bunch of lights start going off. And that can be a great thing. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is the, and, and persecution is the norm uh, for Christians in history. So, anyway. All right, so, spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom is the Greek word Sophia. Uh, and that would be described as knowledge of first principles. So I'll, we'll kind of develop that in a moment. All right, so wisdom is knowledge of first principles. Understanding, uh, which, you know, he wants us to have God's, to have a knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Understanding is a Greek word which is sunesis, which is what the Greeks sometimes described as critical knowledge which means it's the ability to apply first principles to any given situation which may arise in life. So first principles or foundational principles, the idea is, is that's kind of like the foundation to enable you to, to build, whether it's your argument or to build your, uh, the answer that's not necessarily an answer you're always giving to somebody else, but as you're thinking about an issue and you're thinking about what your response should be as, as you kind of build that up in your mind as to what that is, 
first principles is always the foundational thing. So for the believer, uh, we use sometimes phrases like, we want to make sure we live our life in light of the gospel. Okay, so the gospel of Jesus Christ is first principles for us. And, and everything that encapsulates, which is that man is uh, naturally and is born a sinner and is separated from God. See how this describes a lot of things, all right? That, that uh, man is unable to obtain salvation on his own. Uh, that God intervened, and if God had not intervened, man would be lost and remain condemned. God intervened by sending Christ, who took on human form, took on flesh, lived that perfect life, then willingly died for us as our, our substitute. God laid on him our sin. He was then punished for our sin. He was then, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again, and he's going to return. So there's a lot packed into that, but that's first principles. So now when, I'm, when, I, so when we're talking to individuals, everything builds off of that. That's, that's always going to be there. Everything builds off of that uh, in answering someone or in dealing with life. Okay, so when I'm, when I'm dealing with my grandkids, okay, now I'm not always thinking about this consciously, but it's always there. So when I'm with my grandkids, and there's a bunch of them, and sometimes, you know, it's just natural. There's going to be some conflict. Okay, when there's conflict going on, I'm always thinking in terms of the gospel. What does the gospel tell me? Well, number one, it tells me that my grandchildren, though I love them, they're a bunch of little spiritually dead sinners who are in rebellion to God and rebellion to mom and dad. That's what they are. All right? And I know that Christ responded to our need in love uh, and with direct action. So I'm going to respond to them in love and direct action. There's a lot of ways I can do that. All right? But I'm not, I'm not thinking, well, they're just children and they're young and it's okay. No, it's not okay. What they're doing to each other is not okay. And I can't just let it happen because I'm granddad. All right? I, I, something needs to be done and there needs to be correction. So I'm thinking about it in light of the gospel. That's my first principles. So I'm not going to violate that. So I'm not going to come down too hard on one of them, but I'm not going to be too soft on them either. All right? And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of room in there for each one of us to handle that kind of situation differently based on our personalities. But the first principle is the gospel. And, we, and, then we've, and all the other scripture then builds on that. And so that's the idea. So that's what wisdom is. Spiritual understanding. Spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding is bringing all that to the table whenever you're dealing with any kind of a situation, positive or negative. Um, and so our approach is going to be very different uh, in dealing with people. Our mannerisms are going to be different. Um, uh, our tone of voice may be different. All kinds of things will be affected by that. So that's what Paul is praying for these believers, that they will have, that they will be filled then with, with the wisdom or filled with the knowledge of the will of God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So now there's this, there's this, uh, a seasoned grasp of what the scripture says and based on experience and knowledge, able to apply it to living into real situations so that the word of God is being used uh, and being honored in the attitudes, what's being said, everything, all of that. And so I don't know any believer who doesn't need that. We all need that and we all want more of that. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it could be something as simple where you've heard someone else dealing with their kids. And let's say that person's a Christian. You go, wow, I, I need to do that with my kids. Well, that's a great thing. What you hear is someone who's, 
Whatever it is, they've applied certain things and they're using it with their children and you recognize the spiritual value of that. And so now you're going to copy that, which is allowed, and you then do that with your kids. And maybe someone hears you with your kids and will copy or maybe your kids will copy because that's what they're going to do in the beginning. When they have their kids, use some of that. And so that's kind of the idea. That, that, and we, so we need that and we want that. Uh, and as human beings, if we're not reminded of that, we can easily move in the direction away from Scripture. Uh, and, may, and we just won't handle things as really as well as we should. Um, so again, that, so when I say all those things, that's, that's, we're not, I just want you to know, we're not trying to build a case that all of us are horrible Christians and you've been blowing it all this time and boy, you better get on the stick and be praying this because you've never done anything right. That, that's not what we're saying. We're all in the same boat. We're all growing. We've all made mistakes, some more than others. And this is how we can pray for ourselves and for each other. This gets down to the nitty-gritty of the most important things that we need as Christians. And so this is what we want. So, you know, I'm, I think that if you have room for notes in your Bible, that you take, go through the prayers of Paul, and maybe you rewrite them out or write some of these things out so that you can enumerate them so that whenever you get stuck, in the sense that, you know, let, let's say all of a sudden I'm talking to John and John says um, that he doesn't, have, he doesn't have time to tell me anything. He just, can you pray for me? Just, you know, we're going through a bunch of stuff at home. And I, I just, you know, if you pray for me, that'd be great. And then he leaves. So do I just say, well, Lord, I have no clue what John's what's going on with John, but I guess you do. No. I can go to the prayers of Paul and I can go to Colossians. And I can still say, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but I know this. I know that for John, whatever he's going through, what would be of great benefit to him would be for him to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, with all spiritual understanding, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Lord, I don't know how much of that he, maybe he has more of that than I do, but we can always use more. So we pray for him in that way. And so there you're praying more specifically. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a needful thing for him, and what a wonderful blessing. And no matter what's happening in his life, no matter what he was thinking when he asked me to pray for him, if I pray that, I guarantee you that will benefit whatever, he's, whatever situation he finds himself in. How can it not? How can it not benefit him as a believer? For him to be, to be, let's say I'm praying for him, and so by next Tuesday, he is more filled with the, with the wisdom of the knowledge of the will of God than he is today, and he has more spiritual understand, more spiritual wisdom, and more spiritual understanding. Yeah, it, it, it'd be a tremendous help to him. And so he may say, uh, you know, I, I, mean, I may call him and say, hey, John, I've been praying for you. And he say, he says, I appreciate it. I don't know what happened. All I know is this happened, this happened, and I did this and this. And the Lord, I said, awesome. That's the way it works. So we were in there. So you can tell we've really sped up tonight. We got through almost a whole verse. Um, but there's a lot there for us to think about and to contemplate. And I think it's always been a big need within Christianity for us to pray for each other. It's always been a big need. A lot of people have, always, a lot of people have admitted they don't pray enough for each other. A lot of people admit they don't, they're not sure how to pray for each other. This really helps to resolve all of that and will really enable us to lift each other up spiritually uh, and help us to become spiritually strong uh, and mature. Let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful for your love, kindness, and grace. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless our understanding of Scripture. 
We pray, Lord, that along with our uh, growing knowledge of what Paul is saying here, we ask that, uh, Lord, we would endeavor to apply these things to the way that we think about life, the way that we approach life, the way that we approach prayer. We ask, Lord, that we be reminded to pray this way for ourselves and to pray this way for others. Uh, and, Father, to, uh, to expect to hear from others that whether they are aware of it or not, that there is a, a, a growing maturity, uh, a greater knowledge of your will in their life. And, Father, we know what a great benefit that would be for that individual in whatever situations they find themselves in. We ask now, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your grace, that you would continue to watch over us. Remind us, Father, of these things throughout the week. As always, we want to thank you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.